stand and out of respect to the word of God, we'll open in a word of prayer and then we will begin our study. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. We thank you for the teachings and admonitions of the scriptures, of the gospels, of the apostles. Lord, help us to understand to the best of our ability, which often is very limited, just exactly what they're talking about so that we can live lives that will be better glorifying you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us as well as those at our campuses, uh, home Bible studies and stuff, and people who actually follow us on the internet for our uh, studies. All right. I, I have three now. That would be three. Yes. Um, I apparently look marker deprived. <laughs> All right. So we are now in, uh, we're in uh, 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Uh, and uh, so far, uh, Paul has been talking to the Corinthian church, and as I've said already many times, and we actually talked about it <laughs> this last uh, a couple of days ago at our weekly pastors meeting, and one of the pastors groaned and said, oh, sometimes this is so frustrating, you know, dealing with some of the issues that people have, and, and you get the sense sometimes as a pastor, you should hear what we hear, all right? You get a sense sometimes as a pastor that, you know, is what we're doing making any difference? You know, one of those things. You have those moments. I promise you, we have those moments. And the one pastor was sharing that, and I said, of course, you, you haven't been in our Wednesday night Bible study. He goes, no. I said, we're studying Corinthians. And the greatest thing about Corinthians, it's very encouraging to any pastor. Because the Corinthian church was completely jacked up. They were a disaster. But yet, they were a legitimate church, and God was using them, touching people's lives, and, you know, so we shouldn't get discouraged by people who struggle with sin and fail to meet God's standards. Now, a lot of times today, what people do is they think the answer is to drop the standard. You just keep dropping it to the point there is no standard, everybody just does whatever they want, you know, so, well, whatever God tells you to do, you know, kind of stupidity talking. Uh, no, that's not the answer. The answer is to hold the standard, but then to lift people up to the standard, love people up. It's not so you can take the standard and beat the snot out of people, and we don't do that. At least we don't try to do that. Uh, we never try to condemn and be hateful or hurtful to anyone. We're saying this is God's standard, so let's, let's try, and, try and get there. So this church, you know, they've got problems. They're... Uh, fighting with each other. I listen to this, you know, Paul, and I listen to Peter, and I listen to, you know, Jesus, and, I, and they're all fighting and getting off in corners of, over that, breaking into little groups. Uh, the Lord deals with that, or Paul deals with that very strongly. Then they're uh, suing each other, taking each other to court, and uh, uh, he yells at them, basically, don't be doing that. But more importantly, he gets on the church leaders for not dealing with it. The truth of the matter is a lot of church, churches, in fact, the majority of churches I have ever been a part of, do not do this. I, to be honest with you, we're the first church, first church that I have been a part of now as the pastor where we actually get involved in people's lives and try and help them with their issues amongst each other, fighting with each other and stuff like that. Because a lot of churches would rather, you know, they don't want to take sides, Right? You know, person B is mad at person A, and rather than getting involved and in trying to dispute uh, or work out the dispute, you know, the church kind of runs and hides and stuff like that. They do that everything from just business arguments, any other kind of arguments, marital arguments, that's always a biggie in church life, and most churches just run from that and hope people figure it out and <laughs> leave us alone. And, and, and it's really a sense of cowardice. Uh, cowardice, number one, because they don't want to make anybody upset, and number two, just ignorance. They just don't know. They're not being aware. They think church life is just, you know, tell everybody Jesus loves them and, you know, run children's programs. And they don't realize there's a lot more to it. You need to get involved in people's lives. Not obnoxiously. We are not a cult, okay? I don't get into your life. I know what you're doing every five seconds and stuff like that. I'm just talking about just figuring out disputes because he tells them. And he says, you guys are supposed to be leaders. Don't you realize someday, Christians, we will judge the angels in heaven. How in the, well, not the angels, the angels who fell. Uh, if you can't make small decisions, how are you going to make any kind of big decisions? So he really gets on him about that. Uh, then they got one guy, you know, they're being really lax. They're talking about a standard. They must have been not talking about any standard because they're sexually immoral. They're bad. Guys are going to uh, prostitutes. Uh, and it was very much, part, it was, this isn't like Vegas. This was like, uh, 
um, you know, it was part of the religious culture of the pagans that one of the things that you did, you went to these temple prostitutes and fellowshiped, <laughs> you know, as, as, as part of their, it was actually part of their culture. And some of them were still doing it. And Paul's saying, stop, what are you doing? Now, he's a lot nicer than I was. I'd have been screaming bloody murder. But he really tried to take the tact of saying, listen, don't you realize that you don't belong to you anymore? Those hands, those legs, everything that you look at and you feel, if you really get this revelation, it will help some of you who struggle with sexual sin. You start to understand, this doesn't belong to me. We've been bought with a price. When you start to understand that what this physical part of me belongs to God, you carry yourself differently. You behave differently. You draw different lines on behavior when you start to understand that. So rather than Paul just yelling at him for going to prostitutes, though he's telling him not to, his whole thing is, don't you understand who you are? You've been bought with a price. Your body is the temple, he says, of the Holy Spirit. Health people always talk, quote that is why you don't, shouldn't eat fried squirrel brains or whatever the deal is that they, you know, the Bible says, the Bible says, you tell the Holy Spirit, you need to eat like me. You know, well, I don't want to eat like you because your stuff tastes terrible. But anyway, uh, that verse is not for eating. Now, you could make the extension of it and say, because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, you should or should not eat fried squirrel brains or whatever the argument is. But that's not the context. The context of your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit is don't be going to have sex with prostitutes. That's the context, okay? Not that you should take a certain type of vitamin. All right. Then they got one guy in the church who's having sex with his either mother or stepmother. I hope it's the latter. It's not clear. It's just plain not clear. Uh, and Bible scholars argue, based on the way the Greek is written, which one they're talking about. All we know, because some say it's an absolute case of incest. Uh, all we know, it's disgusting behavior. And Paul said, man, even pagans don't do this stuff. And the church was just kind of, you know, well, we don't want to judge anybody. You know that whole thing. We don't, we don't judge anybody. We're in love, you know. And just, Come on, you guys. I'm not even there. And I could judge the situation. So he gets on them for that. So these people got issues, and they're going to have more issues that we're getting into. You know, these guys would get drunk at communion. <laughs> communion to them was, it was actually a meal. Uh, originally, remember, it says they got together with a Passover meal. And they sat down and had this meal and said, here's the bread, and here's the wine, and all the stuff like that. So uh, they actually would get together, and it was kind of like a big potluck. That was their version of communion. The early church, it was. And, uh, but what they started doing is they'd get together and start pigging out. And, hey, give me another round of that stuff. You know? And they're, it's just a disaster. We'll get to it eventually. I mean, they got all kinds of crazy issues. But now, so after talking about these initial ones, then he starts to answer questions. Part of the, what's motivating the letter of the Corinthians, you know, because Paul starts this church in Corinth, comes back around later, visits them again. He's sitting in Ephesus. While he's sitting in Ephesus, he writes the letter back to them, dealing with these issues. He goes, some of them, they're just crazy, some of these people. And some of them have legitimate questions. So now in chapter 7, we get to the questions. And they go all over the place. Now, with each section here, we're now in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians gives me a headache. It is one of the most frustrating, particularly because of my emphasis in, in my ministry of dealing with couples and stuff, because he's going to start talking about sex and marriage. It is one of the most frustrating because you just kind of like, it's like trying to follow a mosquito. You just, it's like, well, what are you talking about? The best way to try and understand it is try to look at the question he's answering, because otherwise it sounds very contradictory. And it sounds like he's talking in circles. And there's parts of this that are just, these people are crazy. I don't even know what they're talking about. I would want to get into the communion wine after reading some of this stuff. All right? So we're going to get into it and try to try figure out, if you look at it, what, what, what is he trying to say and not get so much detail on exactly what he said? Does that make sense? We have a big problem with that today. You know, people, Pat, you can, what I do for a living I can preach a whole sermon and everybody knows the point is A, but I'll say one little statement somewhere and say, well, you said that! And I'll go, I did? Well, what I meant was, I don't care, that's what you said! You know, and it's part of this crazy culture we have today. All right? You know, in politics, that's what these people do, right? These guys have their speech and talking to say one phrase! That's what you said! And, and they don't listen to what they're trying to say. Of course, one of them tells them to stick it and he doesn't care, which <laughs> I find highly entertaining. But anyway... The whole point is, listen to what people say, and this happens in conversations. 
Sometimes husbands and wives go at each other's throat because somebody said something. What you said? Well, yeah, but what I meant, I don't care what you said. I know people get divorced over stuff like that. Because he said, usually, (laughs) some stupid moronic thing. Now, in all defense for men, what women don't understand about men is when you get into heavy argument mode, he goes into man mode, which man mode, when you're being attacked, is kill and destroy. Seek, kill, and destroy, right? That's what we do. So we try to destroy our enemy (laughs) and then work it out later. (laughs) So consequence, and when you think that real heated, because a lot of women think that they can get to the truth in an argument. Maybe you can with your sisters. Maybe you can with your girlfriends. Maybe you can with your mama. But when you get into a big heated argument, I'm talking, you know, you don't get to the truth. What you will get is him getting into his meanest possible mode. Why? Because he's just trying to take you out. This is a good thing for you. This is the part of him that gets up with a bat or a gun or shotgun or, depending on whose house you go to, all kinds of armaments, when someone is coming into the house in the middle of the night, right? We love it when they're in the army doing it, right? We love it when there's a fire and men are rushing in to try to save it. We love it when the policemen are risking their lives. That's man mode. We go into, let's do something. But you have to understand, when you get into a big, heavy argument with a man, chances are what you're going to get is man mode, which is destroy. And then later he's going to try and explain to you that's not really what he meant, and you're not going to care. You're going to try and kill him because that's what he said. All right? So just take it easy. You don't get to the truth in anger. The men are saying amen. (laughs) Are you listening to me, girls? You don't, Stephen's point, I can't hear you. You don't get to the truth in anger. If you did, Jesus would say, walk up to people and punch them in the face. See how they really feel. Right? Because then we're going to get to the truth. That's not where you get to. So I know you get mad, and you think when you're really mad, and he really says, Fresen, shagger! You know, and I, I can tell you the number of times I'll try and explain. He'll say, that's not what he meant. She says, well, then why did he say it? They get so hung up on the, the literal words that he uses. If you're going to do that, if you're single and you think that way, stay single, okay? Because that's, that's not the way it works with the world of men. The best thing, clearly, is that you don't go at each other's throat in the first place. And I'm not saying casual. You know, we all have casual. <laughs> Spend a day with me and my wife. I find it highly entertaining. People, everyone will take couples with us on the road. And they're kind of shocked being around us. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, boy, I, guess we're so, I guess we're normal. Yes, you're normal. Tell her to be quiet. You know, so anyway, this, that's normal. We all, you know, snipe at each other. And, you know, I'm not talking, I'm talking the mean, nasty, you are madder than a hornet. Girls, trust me, you're going to hear stuff you wish you hadn't heard. And guys, really, when you get that mad, stick your head in a toilet and flush it and try to get a swirly going and try and get yourself out of it because you're going to say something that she's not going to care what I say about what you said. It goes on both sides. Just stay calm. I can't remember what my point was in all that. But anyway, so now we're getting to the... Ma- oh, I know this is- The best way to try and understand Paul here is what is he trying to say? Because if you take literally what he says in certain points, they're blatantly contradictory. And I'll point it out as we get into this. We'll see how far we get. All right, so here we go. He's answering the question. Now to the matters you wrote about, he says. And he says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, That is not what he said. Okay? It's not what he said. Uh, Anybody, if you look at any other translation, virtually, the the guys in the NIV, I don't understand. I like the translation by and large because it's very easy for people to understand. They took some real liberties in the NIV translation because I think that's that's the point. It's very clear that's the point he's trying to make, and I'll explain to you what he means by it in a minute. He's not talking about husband and wife. He's talking about single people. Shouldn't they have sexual relations with each other? Uh, what he literally says is good for a man not to touch a woman. Well, if they put that in there, people think, well, I, I ain't shaking your hand, man. I can't touch you, all right? So the point is, what he's trying to say is, couples, you know, if you're not married to somebody, you shouldn't be having sex with them, is the point, and that's why they took the liberty. Some of the liberties are real extreme. 
I point them out whenever we get to them. But literally, he says, it's good for man not to touch a woman. Don't be touching these girls. He's talking to single men. This is what they're asking them. They're asking him, you know, what do we do with this sexual temptation problem? He just dealt with the sexual temptation, understanding your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. This doesn't belong to you anymore. This is owned by God. You get that revelation. You get those thoughts in you. It'll change. I promise you, it'll change the way you behave, guys. Guys who look at porn and gratify themselves. So these are people who have no concept that this belongs to God. They really don't. They just think it's them struggling with it. When you really get this picture, it changes you. So having answered that, so he gets to this, or dealt with that, he gets to the question specifically about this sexual temptation thing. He said, well, look, it's good for a guy not to touch a woman, and then you're not going to have temptations to touch her more. (laughs) The context is... You shouldn't be having sex with them, and that's why it's fine to shake their hands, give them godly hugs and whatever like that. Literally, he said, don't touch anybody. But since sexual immorality is occurring, it is occurring, and it was occurring in the church, and it's still occurring in churches today, including our church. But since sexual immorality is occurring, here's his solution. Uh, Get together and make sure everybody gets a promise ring and, uh, and just stay in school and stay as single as long as you can for as long as you possibly can until you get your career and stuff going and then, you know, pray about it and have men's groups where we all hold hands so when we pray for each other, because then you can't masturbate if you're holding somebody else's hand, you know, and... Uh, and, and have accountability partners and put special things on your computer and all this... Now, anybody heard any of this stuff? This is what they try and tell our young people. It's fine when they're teenagers. Once they leave high school, once they, man, this idea of purity groups. And I'll tell you, the stats show that young people who have been in godly churches and have done all these things and sat there with their daddies on the, on the church, we don't do that because of my irritation, which I just talked about now, where the girl gets the ring and daddy gives her the ring. And it works good when they're teenagers. The minute they leave, studies show they become as sexually immoral as pagan children. Why? The main reason we're having such a problem with sexual immorality in the church today is because we encourage these young people. I do not. Your pastors is quite the opposite. But many of you and many people around the country overwhelmingly. Now, this culture is a little bit different because I holler about this all the time. But in cultures all over America, the standard line to Christian young people is, you know, you're done now, go to college for four years, get your career, get your business, and that whole time, don't have sex. Yeah, how's that working for us? It's not working good at all. So we try to come up with these things, accountability partners, holding hands in men's prayer meetings, you know, all the different stuff that they do, and they're trying to get all these things. Ah, here's a radical concept. Instead of trying to come up with these artificial nonsense things that don't work anyway, how about Paul's answer? Because Paul's answer to, I want to have sex, is have sex. I love this answer. All right? That's his answer. Now, not just randomly (laughs) or someone you're not committed to. He says, because of so much sexual immorality, this is what should happen. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. That is God's answer to the problem. All right? Why this is so hard for Because we're so caught up in the culture. We want to act and think just like pagans, but then we get upset when we get the results pagans are getting. See, the pagans, they all say wait till you're 32 before you get married because they don't care if their daughters are having sex with 30 different guys and their boys are doing this, that, and the other. And... By the way, there, there are three versions. Again, your kids don't ever have to get married. They can wait till they're 112 and die single for all I care. All right? I'm not telling anybody they have, and I'm not telling anybody they have to get married young. What I am saying is you fall in love with somebody, you want, and here's what irritates me. If you really don't want your kids to get married, they shouldn't be dating at all. They say, no, I want my children to wait until, look, a lot of people do it. There's people in our church. There are professional people in our church who, some of them are in their middle age and never married still. Uh, highly successful people, because as Christians, the very devout Christians, that's what they did. They didn't date anybody. They just focused on their career. You can do it. 
What I don't understand is parents encouraging, yeah, go ahead and date and all this stuff and, you know, get engaged, you know, for seven years. Is that what we heard today? Ten years. Good Lord. And of course, what are they doing? They're doing the horizontal mambo. They shouldn't be doing. Think it through. All right, so. And then they wonder, how come we're struggling? Why? We, well, what are you thinking? Have waiting, 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 waiting. So here is what I believe evangelical Christians who are advocating delay marriage, don't wait, don't get married. Wait, 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 wait. We're getting three versions of it. Number one, you're getting kids who are sexually immoral anyway. All right? They're just doing it anyway. Number two, we're getting kid guys who are climbing the walls. So their version to try not have sex, which mom and dad told me not to do, is to get caught up in porn. And they are into porn up to their eyeballs. And here's what's sad about that. When they get married, they think it's going to fix it. It doesn't fix it. They get married, and now they are not interested in their wives. All they have been programmed, because they've been doing this for 15 years. And their parents almost consenting, you know, well, boys got to do something. I've been in these conferences. I've had young people come up to me. Guys with their drop-dead gorgeous wives. 28, 27. So what's the problem? She goes, he doesn't want to have sex with me. And I look at her and I look at him and think, man, you're a moron. <laughs> so what's the problem? She goes, well, I'd just rather do it myself. Are you kidding me? And this happens all, it wouldn't surprise me to people I'm talking to right now who have this problem. Their husbands are no more passionate about them and chasing them. The woman has to beg and cry for sex from her husband. I'm talking Christian women. And by the way, the vast majority of complaints that I get, and I'm telling you, it's not even close. Maybe because women are more willing to talk about it, I don't know. But whenever you talk about this, you always say, well, you talk about men who want to have more sex than their wives want. The vast majority of complaints I get, even in this church, are from women who their husbands don't want to have sex with them. Why is that? I think it's because these guys are sitting around making love to themselves. Because they picked this up, they've been doing this since they're God knows how young, and then they're dysfunctional, and they can't function with a real. They have a real wife, and they still cannot stop. Who created this? I think churches and moms and dads who told them, wait, 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 as long as you possibly can to get married, and then they're doing this anyway. And then we're getting version three that people almost never hear of. I run into it all the time. Young men who do what they were told to do since the time they put on their promise ring, and they've said no to this, and they've said no to this, and they said all the way through their 20s, and all the way through their late 20s, and into their 30s, and they're 32, 33, 34, 35, and they finally get married. And they have absolutely no interest in sex. I've had these girls tell me, Pastor, I, we did everything right. We, none of us had sex. And, and I got to just about rape him to get him to make love to me. And he's not into porn or anything else. But what we've done is we, in a sense, have created a eunuch out of the boy. When you've been saying, no, 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 and you get yourself so you're, to the point that you're so numbed and you've got this so out of your mind that fine. Listen. If you're 35 years old and you are not interested in sex, for the love of God, stay single. Thank you, Randy. All right. Pastor, you're an angry elf. You know, the reason is it gets so irritated. You, the people I talk to, you're talking people's lives. And we're creating this for what? So they get their careers. What does marriage have to do with a career one way or the other? You can be married and still go to school. You can be married and still have a career. You can be married. It's, it's as if we believe marriage is the anti-force. That if you get married, it will suck the life out of you. And you won't be able to study. And you won't be able to function. And you won't be able to get a career. Are we crazy? The truth of the matter, the opposite happens. Every study shows married young people in college perform much better than the single ones, particularly the boys. They're finally getting sex. They can think about something else for five minutes. <laughs> the problem with sexual morality in the church is not some other stupid program. Are you listening to me? It's not some other stupid accountability group. The pastor kind of mean. I know it just irritates me. The answer, how about we look to the Bible? The answer, tell the kid to get a wife. Tell the girl to get a husband. 
That is the answer. Okay, calm down, calm down. All right. Now, having said that, Paul says this. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. What kind of duty is that? Perform for duty, ma'am. It's saying the man should have sex with his wife. And the woman, likewise, to her husband. They call it a duty. Howdy duty. All right. Now, I'll tell you why they call, he calls it a duty. Because sometimes it feels like a duty. It does. Single people. I don't know if any single people in here. When they hear me talk, their mouths just drop on one. What? You mean people? <laughs> I was talking to a couple of single girls in our church a year ago talking about this problem. I said, what? I said, yeah, there's people who get married and they don't, they're not interested in having sex at all. And they can't imagine it. The one girl says to me, honestly, I don't know why anybody would sleep. That's all I'd want to do all night long. Healthy girl, praise God. All right. Because at some point, now let me explain this to you, best as I can. All right? <laughs> and I'm trying to process in my mind what I can get away with here. All right? All right? We have, we're going to call this max sexual desire. All right? Now, in the beginning of every relationship, both couples tend to be boom. At the max. But it's not really the true story. We don't know if they're both that interested in sex. It's just true. See, why is that? Because there's an artificial thing that happens. Because of endorphins for just, you're excited in the beginning, and you're holding hands, and you like to get to know each other, and just, and they, and, and, and so you have one who really is really interested in sex a lot, and the other one who's really not a lot. The problem is you can't tell in the beginning. This is not an unusual concept. People in the world understand this. You know what the people in the world say the answer to it is? Live with each other first. That's why they talk about that. Because then you can find out, you know, where things are. The problem is, it stays artificial when you're still living with somebody. The stories, the emails that I have gotten from people who've been living together five years or whatever, and all of a sudden they finally get married, and then, you know, the reality settles in, and then one of them settles down. And let's say, you know, this person, their interest in sex is really here. And the other one drops to about here. You got yourself an argument in the happening right here, all right? You got one who's way more, and it's not typically we say it's the man like this, but it's not always. Again, most of the situation I talk to, it's the woman. Where one just seems to be more interested than the other. Well, what's the answer? The answer is to compromise with each other. This person needs to, you know, suck it up a bit and try and bring it down. And this person needs to try, okay, I need to do my duty and bring it up. All right? Now, uh, so <laughs> I just got an email from a guy. They were arguing. It was from the wife. She said, what do I do? We're really having a hard time. And, and I think it's because I've had negative sexual experiences in the back. And of course, she's trying to find answers. She's just reaching for something because she can feel it. Because some people, man, it's like this. And it never came down. Here's a great divide between them. And in this case, she's saying, I feel bad, Pastor. I feel bad because my husband wants to have sex every day, usually twice a day. And I feel bad because I can only give him sex Three times to five times a week. <laughs> Somebody kill me. All right. So what's the answer? Look, there's people who think because they get married, that means now we can have sex nonstop all the time. Well, morally, you can. <laughs> Chances are that ain't going to happen for you. Okay. Uh, and you need to learn to control yourself, okay? If you use the analogy of eating, some people really like food a lot more than somebody else. You think, well, it's not illegal to eat all day long. It's not, but you're going to have some serious problems, okay? And you're going to prosper greatly, okay? That's not the nature of heavier than earth. That's not the thing, but I mean, sometimes people just ah, all day long. 
well, that's bad for you. You need to stop. You need to control yourself. One of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Self-control. Oh, we're married. We've been out sex all day long. Yeah, in your dreams. But that, and here's a, by the way, here's something else that really ticks me off. The reason I tell people why they should not be having sex before they get married. Well, we're going to get married. But you don't get it. Here's what you don't understand. If you cannot say no to this before you get married, chances are you won't be able to say no to it after you get married. Are you following me? See, there's a lot of people, I just read a, a study yesterday by Christians and stuff like that, who admitted they were shocked that after they get married, they still felt almost as much sexual temptation than before. They thought, well, once I get this, then it all goes away. It doesn't go away. It helps dramatically, oh, God only knows. But it doesn't just eliminate it. If you can't control yourself before as a young man, what makes you think you're going to control? These are why these guys, they, they get around, they meet some cute chicken, pretty soon they're having an affair. This is why some girl, she's so used to flirting and having a good time, pretty soon she's in bed, she didn't even expect to ever wind up there. Because they've never learned to say no. You say, Pastor, well, I never said no before. Well, learn to say it now. Okay, at some point, you need to control yourself. It's what's destroying our very culture. The pagan culture is awash with this stuff. This stuff is a disaster, and it's affecting the church greatly. The answers you got, you have to learn to control yourself, okay? So the reality is, one needs to make more of an effort, the other one needs to control themselves, okay? Even if you only have to suffer for only five times a week. Oh, Lord. All right. So now, another thing about the duty is this. My son came up with this. Brilliant. He must have a, an incredible father. But uh, he says, you know, Dad, he says, something hit me. He says, uh, romance is to marriage what taste is to food. It's a good analogy, right? Everybody's always trying to get it tastier. But here's the problem. It's a really great analogy if you follow it through. If you only eat things that taste good, is that good for you? No. Because everything should be covered in bacon grease. <laughs> I mean, let's just call it like it is, right? Even your cornflakes pour a little grease. I mean, whatever. It's just anything fat and greasy. Oh, I mean, deep fried anything tastes good, right? You could deep fry dirt. And, oh, man, this is awesome. Now, I have, most of you have children, right? Do you know a young child cannot comprehend why they can't eat ice cream all the time? It makes no sense to them because it tastes great. Well, it tastes great. Why don't, look, it's going to kill you. If you just eat things that taste, sometimes you just have to do stuff that doesn't taste great. Are you following me here? Marriage, you should try to make as tasty as possible. But at some point, it's not about everything. Sometimes there's not always this event before you come together as a husband and wife. A lot of women think this. They feel bad because they don't feel all this before sex, Right? I mean, you know, all a man needs for sexual energy is oxygen. <laughs> and then women feel bad because they watch these movies and on these shows, these women can't wait to have sex. They're all just ripping everybody's clothes off. <laughs> all right? So they actually feel bad because they think, well, I don't have this. So pastor, there's something wrong with me because I don't feel... No, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a normal human being. Everybody doesn't need... <laughs> before they have sex. If you think in those terms... One is going to be very much always saying no to the other. And you're going to create a problem. It's just, that's why the Bible calls it an obligation. It's not very romantic, but it just is. It's your marital duty. You made a promise. Marriage is fundamentally a sexual promise. When you say, I do, it means I do you, you do me. We don't do anybody else. That's what the I do means. And I will say again, if you are single and you're not interested in sex, stay single. Well, I want friends. Get a dog. 
I know at least five people personally. Some are sitting here right now, and I won't say your name, fear not. <laughs> five people personally that on their wedding night discovered the other person had no intention of ever having sex. Excuse me? Now, here's the problem. Virtually every pastor in their lives told them, you got to work it out. You know, you're married. Now, I want to call these pastors stupid, but that's not very nice. That, idiots. idiots, morons. That's not nice. That would be very Trump-esque of me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just say they're ignorant. They're ignorant. A couple is not married because you stood over and said, oh, I pronounce you man and wife. Now you're magically a man and wife. You're not man and wife just because you signed a piece of paper. From the beginning of the human experience, a marriage is not consummated until it's consummated. If, and I try to tell our guys and other pastors in marriage counseling, it's stunning how this question never comes up. You mean to tell me you went for pre-marriage counseling and no one ever asked you the question, are you guys interested in having sex? Never comes up. So these pastors force these people to stay married. And it just makes me mad. I get so, you can tell I get upset about it. So I, how dumb are these? I, you know, again, there I call them dumb. See, it didn't take long. I'm the Donald Trump of marriage. <laughs> oh my gosh. They force them to stay married. If this ever happens to anybody you know, you tell them, you get an annulment immediately. Any court in the world will give you an annulment like that. Any church in the world should acknowledge it like that. First of all, you should have been talking about this before. Goodness, honestly, there's people, honestly, they, they really just, they want, their version of marriage is just to have someone around the house to change light bulbs they can't reach. I'm serious. Cook. Now, if you can find someone that they're good with that, a sexless marriage, I don't want to have sex, you don't want to have sex, then fine, but talk this out ahead of time. I remember one girl at one of our campuses called me up and said, Pastor, I, I met this man, and I'm thinking about married, getting married. What do you think? I said, I don't know. Do you want to have sex? She goes, oh, my gosh, No! I said, well, then stay single because I'm pretty sure he does. <laughs> Did she listen to me? Got married. I married him. I should be whipped. But it was under pressure, friends of the family, you know the whole routine. Two weeks later, on the phone, we're in hell. We're in hell. We're in hell. I am stunned at the number of couples, by the way, who get to hell so fast. So it should take you years to get to hell. <laughs> Six months were in hell. Eight months were in hell. Two weeks? A week and a half? You're in hell? Well, I wonder why they were in hell. A year later, the whole thing breaks apart and ends in a divorce. Just a disaster. I should be horsewhipped for... All the warning signs were there. If you're not interested in that, then just stay single. Find, unless you can find someone else who, yes, also just wants to be a buddy then, then fine, okay? Do not deprive each other, the Bible says. Uh, uh, verse four, the wife does not have authority over her own body. Other translations add the word alone. It's implied, but literally it doesn't say alone. But clearly it's implied. Clearly a wife has some control over her own body. But the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to the wife. In this respect, Paul is being extremely balanced here. He knew, even 2,000 years ago, it goes both ways. And I don't know why. I wish there was a magic formula to figure it out ahead of time. There is not. The magic formula should be, you know what? I'm going to honor my commitment and my vow. And I'm going to be there for my husband or I'm going to be there for my wife. Whether I feel much of it or not is not the point. Again, it's not always about what tastes good. Sometimes you just got to eat broccoli because it's good for you. Now, hopefully your sex life is better than eating broccoli, but you know, if not, come see us. We'll try to help you in some degree. But The thing is you need to take it seriously. Uh, do not deprive each other. In other words, do not get in the situation where we're not having sex. It is absolutely, positively unbiblical. If you are a husband or a wife in this church and you've got to the point where you deny your spouse for having sex, you are in sin and you are absolutely wrong and you have absolutely no 
compassion from me at all. Now, if you're physically, you can't because, you know, you're taking chemo and puking your guts. Okay, everybody understands that. But you just, you know, I, I, don't know, I had my two kids. I don't want any more sex. You have no idea how often that happens. I wish I was talking about really obscure stuff that never happens. That is wrong. And it can be the guy doing it to the girl for whatever reason, whatever emotional trauma he's going through. You'd be stunned how many men have a difficult time being sexual with their wives after they become mothers. There's something weird in their head. You know, they go, oh, can't have sex with her. She's a mom now. Yeah, you made her that way. <laughs> People got all kinds. I'm telling you, it's a Christian that is not supposed to be happening. He says, do not deprive each other, except, he gives an exception, perhaps by mutual. We both agree. All right, no hanky-panky. And only for a time, a set time. We're going to have no hanky-panky for the next whatever period of time. Primarily so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Now, I'm pretty sure the people who are doing this to each other are not praying. <laughs> They're just being jerks. All right? Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you. Remember the whole purpose of the marriage in the first place, that Paul says, because of sexual problems, sexual immorality, temptation. Because there's so much temptation, the answer is to get a husband or get a wife. The number one reason, the only reason, quite frankly, that you clearly see in the New Testament for marriage is for sexual fulfillment. Now, it's not just sexual, sexual fulfillment, or you just marry anybody just of the opposite sex. I get that. And the Bible doesn't say it's the only reason, but it is the fundamental reason. And you will see here, because in a minute, actually I'm going to probably run out of time because it's taking so long venting, uh, that uh, uh, he says, if you don't feel the need for sex, then he tells you straight up, don't get married. It's not just me yelling this. He says this in a, in a little bit here. This is the number one thing, which doesn't make marriage bad or evil. It's great. Sex is great. God invented it. It was his idea. Thank you for that. All right. So, um, okay, so now here, the whole purpose of it is what? To stop sexual temptation. Now, here's what you don't understand. When one person is starving out the other person, you put that person in a very bad state. This person now, who's way more interested, is now a prime target for Satan. It's like putting crosshairs on them, and now they're in a bad place. I know this person here doesn't get it because they don't feel that way. Oh, they felt it in the early days, but then they came down and they think, be it he or she, that the other person should be doing the same. There's something wrong with him because he's a pervert. But that's not the case. It just is what it is. This person needs to step it up. This one needs to calm it down a little bit, but you just leave it hanging. This creates a strong center of sexual temptation. For the other person. And this person, this is the man who, oh, now all men, I know women think we're disgusting pigs, but it is all men notice beautiful women. If your husband says, I never notice beautiful women, he's either lying or he needs to go get his eyes checked. I'm just saying, one of the two. All men, we all know, there's one, there's one, did you know? Oh, well, no, I didn't notice much anything. All right? They all notice them. But this is talking beyond the noticing. This is like, holy cow, and it starts pulling at them. And he gets in a situation where he's working with some young thing that just thinks he's the greatest thing in the world. You are headed for trouble. You are clueless, but your marriage is about to get in some serious, serious trouble. And it's just not the men. It's the same with the women. Some guy touches her hand and laughs at her joke or listens to her cry or something. She is a sitting target for an adulterous affair. The guy, of course, is clueless because you're not paying attention. You guys need to pay attention. I'll tell you the one who should pay attention the most is the one who's the least interested in sex. If you are the one in your marriage who's the least interested in sex, that you are the one who should be the most aware of what's going around in your husband's life or your wife's life. Again, most of the complaints I'm getting are the opposite way. And I'll tell you what, it's stunning how many people 
Stupid clock. Okay, I have 15 minutes. It's, it's stunning how many people fall into an affair because they're married to an ice princess or to some guy who God knows what his problem is. Maybe it's just his natural state. I don't know. I can't figure it out. That's not the point. You got married, you have a responsibility. But it's amazing how many of these people fall into affair and you know who everybody points out as a guilty person? This guy. Terrible person. How could she do that? How could she be unfaithful to her husband? Oh, what a pig. What a disgusting person. That's almost everybody, especially in the church. Especially when pastors do this. Oh, man. The number of pastors I know that fall into this, and he's an evil man. Do you know what that pastor did? Oh, oh, he did. Oh, it's horrible. And he's evil and evil. And everybody just runs around and gives hugs and kisses to this person. Oh, I'm so sorry. He's such a pig, you know I'm just going to give you a kiss. And let me give you a heart too because there's a little heart there. I, as you know, always ask questions. That's why I just don't pray for people right away who come up to me. I want to know, why do you want me to pray? What's going on? You learn stuff so you can pray more effectively. I have talked to pastors who have fallen into this. They want to die. They feel horrible. And it never removes their guilt. I'm not saying they're not guilty. But then you find out that she gave him sex sometimes as little as once to twice a year. Really? Really? I know several people in this congregation. That's exactly their story. They feel horrible. They still, some of them still struggle with guilt to this very day. And I got to constantly remind him, hey, there's some context here. If this person hadn't been doing this to you, it would be much less likely because he would have been following the biblical path. Once a year, twice a year, and he had an affair. Oh, he's terrible. I'm telling you, I really believe some of these people do it intentionally to cause another person to fail. Some people are just, they're being influenced by evil. They aren't evil, but they're acting in evil ways. Just like when, Jesus had to tell Peter, you know, get behind me, Satan. It wasn't that Peter was Satan, but he was being used by Satan. They just act in terrible way. They literally try to starve out their spouse, hoping that their spouse will commit an adultery so they have an out to get out of the marriage. Well, I'll tell you what. You think that on Judgment Day, this person is innocent with all hugs and kisses? I don't think so. And you should ask these questions, by the way. So then we get this artificial martyr system going. Now, you have a good situation where they're both and then someone's unfair. Okay, then this person's really a pig and they got some issues. And even then, be compassionate to people who fall. Don't be mean and nasty. Good night. The Bible says someone falls, you should treat them carefully lest you fall into the same temptation. I don't understand this Christian mentality of lining up people against the wall and shooting them because they fail. And all kinds of people will fail. How do you treat them? What can I do for you? My one pastor fell, man, and I gave him a job. Nobody else in the world would touch him. I hired him. Why? Well, he needs a job. What, what are we doing? Crucify. Well, he committed. Okay. And that guy also married to a nice princess. A little context there. But even if there wasn't context, we still don't kill people. We help to restore them, the Bible says. So this thing of just getting mean and nasty, stop. Don't get caught up in this stuff and playing this victim game. And by the way, God knows what's going on here. And I, that might be extreme, but even you're still married and you do once a month, even twice a month, you are headed for the same scenario. Oh, pastor, I'm tired. Well, nobody's asking you to run a marathon. You know, how about you stop doing something else so you're not so tired? You need to make this a priority. I don't understand why people get married. I guess because they want a baby and that's it. Or they, they want the, some guys want you know, a wife and whatever that brings them status wives, but they have really no interest in being a couple. <laughs> and I know I sound like an angry elf, but <laughs> somebody needs a hug, <laughs> all right? But it's, it's just, this is painful for people. There's no reason for this behavior. And I'll tell you, and I love speaking to pastors. You know, I, when I, I got a big pastor's group I'm speaking to in August. You know what I say to pastors and pastors' wives? I talk to the wives. I say, 
Because wives often say to me, what can I do to really help my husband succeed as a Christian man? Not just, not, not just pastor's wife, but a lot of Christians. What can I do to help my husband? You know what you can do? The best thing you can do? Have sex with a boy. <laughs> well, I, I, I wasn't thinking about that, you know. What does he need from me? He needs to get laid. That's what he needs. <laughs> because when he gets laid, this stops being a problem for him. And it's not a one-time problem fixer. <laughs> you got to keep dealing with it. Oh, you know, I, I, I tell these wives, these husbands, they don't need you to direct the choir. Choirs. They don't need you to help them in the office. They don't need to help you be their prayer partners. They don't need, you know what they need? They need you to be a wife to them. And if we had more pastors' wives being passionate lovers to the husbands, we would have less of this going on in the kingdom of God. And some of these extremely talented, brilliant men in our churches are falling by the wayside. Of course, our church just blows them to smithereens, losing some of the most talented men that we have. Because somebody couldn't help quiet this. Now, that's not always the case. Some of them are just, they're falling in sin and okay. But a lot, I'm just telling you, I've talked to these people, a lot of it's this. You want to help your husband be a successful Christian? Make love to the boy. Well, I thought maybe I'd cook his favorite dinner. <laughs> Give him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and meet me in 10 minutes. You know, all right? <laughs> it's the only thing you can do that nobody else can do for him. I can get anybody to pray for me. I can get anybody to help me in the office. I can get anybody to help my schedule and my calendar. I can get anybody to do whatever, except for one thing. Quiet the beast. You want to help your husband quiet the beast in him. And it's the same with the woman. You want your wife to have an affair? I mean, what's the point? So you can say you were right and they were wrong, and now everything's torn up in a divorce, and everybody has, you know, you start and your kids are traumatized. Is that your goal? Oh, what a wonderful thing. How about you step it up? I've got a lot of things to do. Then quit doing so many things. Whatever you think is in the way of you being a lover to your spouse, stop it. Or hire somebody else to do it. Because you can't hire anybody else to do it. That's against the law. <sighs> I hope this is getting through to somebody. Because me yelling at you is not going to help. I'm not yelling. I'm just venting. I'm yelling, venting. I'm the yelling ding. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I just, it just it doesn't have to happen. Seriously, it's that much of an inconvenience in your life to have sex with your spouse more than once or twice a month. Really? You're that busy? Now, this is just an enormous situation. Now you've got some bad relational problems, where, and that causes problems. That's different, all right? You've got a woman who always is critical of her husband, always telling him he's doing something wrong, always telling him what a jerk he is. Everybody thinks you're an idiot. I know what an idiot you are. You're just nothing but a... You think he's going to feel like making love with that woman? Not a chance. Or women, always criticizing their husband. You don't do this right. You don't do that. And, you wonder, and she wonders why. Well, I don't know. just want to be a lover to me. Now, that's not what we're talking about. Now, we're talking serious relational problems. Some real issues, some emotional, mental issues that people have. If you have that and it's affecting your sex life, then you know what it is. And you need to work on that and fix that or come in for counseling and help it fix that. But a lot of times, just people are not paying attention. It's just not that big of a deal to the person who's not that interested. It's just not. It doesn't make them evil. I'm not saying you're evil. If you're a man and you're not that interested in sex, I'm not saying you're evil because you don't want to have sex. If you're a woman, you're not that interested. It doesn't make you evil. It's just you're married. You have a responsibility, a duty to silence the beast in that other person. It's an intentional thing. You need to do it. How often you do it, everybody wrestles with that. That's the fight. That's the debate. Somebody has to be less. Someone else has to be more. You got to find that thing. On rare occasion, you have couples that are exactly the same, and God bless you for that. That's wonderful. But it's usually not the case, and that's why Paul's writing about this. 
All right. I think I've beat that horse to death. All right. Paul says all of this in verse six. He says, I say this as a, consens- a concession to you, not as a command. I wish that all of you were like me, which is what? Single. I'm not trying to force this out. Just, this is the only way this works. Paul says, I wish you were all like me. You know, it's really interesting because in churches, we usually say, it's great if you're married, so sad if you're single. When Paul actually wrote, it's great if you're single, it's really a shame if you're married. (laughs) And we'll see that as we get into this. You're happy being single, be happy being single. But you gotta pay attention to this. Uh, And then we'll throw this in regard, just got three minutes. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped over something, didn't I? I say this because I wish all of you are as, as, as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Now, this is one thing that he says that I wish he hadn't said because it doesn't make any difference. People talk about, well, there's a gift of marriage and there's the gift of singleness. And there's a lot of people talking those terms because this one thing, I, I don't know what Paul's even talking. What do you mean a gift? Because he's sitting there, for the rest of it, he argues about why you should stay single. Well, what about the gift? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what he's talking about. Nobody else is. I don't think there's a gift of marriage. There might be a gift of singleness. I don't know. So people can just focus on God, I suppose. But don't, don't take one verse and try and blow it way into something that it, it shouldn't be. To the, married, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say this. It's good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. That's the best scenario. That's what Paul is saying. Now, I'm glad, by and large, Christians have not listened to this over the centuries. Or Christianity would have probably bred itself out of existence at some point. Because these guys literally thought, and he's going to say this in a little bit, the time is short. They thought Jesus was coming back any minute. Paul, why would you get married? We're leaving. Why would you have kids? Come on, we're wrapping this thing, we're all getting out of here. Well, 2,000 years later, Apparently, that was a bit premature in, their, in his thinking. So he says, it's best that you don't stay married. And then he says this, but if they cannot control themselves. That's not what he says. He literally says, but if they burn with passion. If you're on fire, hallelujah. If you're burning up, he says, then you should get married. Which is the completion of what he started the whole thing with. It's the purpose of it. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. It's just that simple. All right? It doesn't make sex cheap. It doesn't make marriage cheap. And it's not the only reason for marriage. You really ought to find somebody you like. I'm just suggesting. Which, by the way, (laughs) you have no idea how many single people ask me for counseling help while they're dating. If you are a single couple, you're dating, you're engaged, whatever, you want me to counsel you? The answer is no. In fact, Jimmy Bratcher would say, that's a hell no. (laughs) So why is that? They don't get, listen to me, if you need counseling before you get married, you need your head examined. Here's a radical concept. When you're marrying somebody, you should actually like them. You actually get along. You're kind of wanting to do life together. You shouldn't need an expert to come in and untangle your crazy. I will not do it. Now, once you get married, I'm stuck with you. All right? But before you get married, you need counseling. You need to run for the hills. Goodness gracious. All right, so now... From here on out, he starts dealing with areas that get really confusing. We'll pick this up. Next week is the baptismal service. So that's what we have. So the week after, if you want to hear the rest of the story, come back and we will pick it up again. And he still talks about divorce. When is divorce allowed? When it isn't allowed? You know, know, why is he so uptight about marriage? Why is he so negative about marriage? He tries to explain it. Uh, and then there's some really weird stuff toward the end that I just go, I will happily explain it to you all in two weeks. All right? You still love me? (laughs) Okay. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.